just like last episode, we got a ton of things to talk about. Let me let me let me just break it down for you guys real quick. The divisional round matchups are set in the NFL. What do I think of them and who do I think will win? We got some recent signings in baseball to talk about, and two of them come from New York. Two coaches get hired to teams who are looking to start over in the NFL. And unless you've been living under a rock, there was a trade that could change the face of the NBA for a long, 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 long time. But first up, we got a breakdown of the national championship that almost wasn't. So the game took place last Monday, and like I told you guys last episode, it was Bama versus Ohio State. Now my prediction was that Bama was going to win, and boy was I right. 52-24 to was the final score in this one. Max Jones' final stat line uh, was 36 for 45 passing, 464 yards, and 5 touchdowns. Najee Harris's final stat line, he had 22 carries for 79 yards and 2 touchdowns. And on the receiving end, he had 7, seven catches for 79 yards also and a touchdown. And Heisman winner Devontae Smith's final stat line. I mean, this man only had one half to put up, the, put up these stats because he had a dislocated finger that rolled him out for, for the rest of the game. We don't know if his draft stock will fall because of that. But anyway, let's get into his stats. 12 catches, 215 yards, and three touchdowns. Now, I was hating on Smith, but now, but now I'm not hating on him anymore. He, he just has all the tangibles to be a top receiver and knows how to get open with ease. All three of these guys will likely head to the NFL draft, and all three will likely go to the first round, according to Todd McShay's, Todd McShay's mock draft a week ago. Jones will likely go number 21 to the Colts. Harris will likely go number 28 to the Steelers. And Smith will likely go number 3 to the Miami Dolphins. Oh, and by the way, their top defender, Patrick Sertan, will likely go number 10 to the Cowboys. Four notable Alabama stars in just one round? The first... I mean, nothing is stopping Alabama besides the thought of Saban retiring soon, which I don't think will be for another few years or so. So, Bama, you're in, like, Bama fans are in a really good position right now to succeed. But now I want to talk about something that I didn't mention at the top of the show, and that is the debate of the best college football team of all time. The two teams are this year's Alabama team and last year's LSU team that had guys like Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, now Vikings wide receiver Justin Jefferson, etc., now, let's break these teams down position by position. First up, quarterback Mac Jones versus Joe Burrow. I, I mean, this shouldn't even be a debate because Joe Burrow easily takes the cake for this one because, I don't know, he had one of the best college seasons of all time. The man threw for, like, 60 touchdowns last time I, last time I recall. Like, that's, that's, that, like, like, that's just never going to happen again. Like I, like, I don't see another quarterback coming through the ranks and putting up those type of numbers. Except for like Bryce Young, who could be the next like Lamar Jackson in college for like, which I don't know if he can even do it to be honest. Like, this it's it's crazy what Joe Burrow did uh, the last couple years or last year. I mean, yeah. Um, next up, we have uh, running back the running back position, Clyde Edwards Hilaire, now the Chiefs running back versus Najee Harris. I give it to Najee Harris on this one only because he posted a 1,000-yard rushing years in back-to-back years and had high receiving numbers in back-to-back years, and, only, and, and, and Edward Tiller only had one productive season. So, I mean, I mean, even though we're talking about the, like, the best college team of all time, like, even though Edward Tiller had, like, um, 
I think he had like a thousand yards in the 2019 year. I just feel like Harris is more like experienced in those, but in those two years and knows how to like kind of do it on both ends, like running and receiving. Now here's where things get a little bit tricky. The wide receiver core is up next with Devontae Smith, John Mechie II, and Jalen Waddle of Alabama going up against Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson of LSU. Now Chase and Jefferson combined for 195 catches, 3,320 yards, and 38 touchdowns in 2019 alone. Smith, Mechie, and Waddle combined for 200 catches on the dot, 3,363 yards, and 33 touchdowns in 2020. I'll give it to LSU here because Chase and Jefferson are more of a balanced load than Smith, Mechie, and Waddle because Smith basically carried those two by himself. That's because Mechie was a number two weapon that Jones didn't really um, count on to throw the deep ball as much. He he mostly used him for like short routes. And then for Waddle, he was out for most of the year, I think with like an ankle injury. And then he actually came into the uh, national championship game and the players had mixed reactions over it. But that's another story for another day. Uh, finally, we have the top defender on both teams going at it. Sertan second of Bama going up against Grant Delpit of LSU. Sertan really knows how to blanket top receivers one-on-one, almost like a Jalen Ramsey who can tackle and get you that clutch force fumble if you need him to. Now, Delpit, on the other hand, is a safety like Jamal Adams. You could put him at the line of scrimmage, at the linebacker spot, and even back deep. The only thing is that he's had health issues for over the course of his college career, uh, Delpit, I mean, and 2019 was his worst year because he was injured, so give me Sertan on this one. Now, since it's a tie, two for Alabama, two for LSU, I'll, I will give the final verdict. And what the stats and other things have told me is that the 2019 LSU team is still the best college team of all time. But then again, you, you, you can make a very, very, very legitimate case that Bama should be right there with them. Now, from the college to the pro side of things, we got some recent coaching hires in the NFL that we got to talk about. Two of them that I mentioned at the top. First, we have Urban Meyer. Yes, Urban Meyer is going to coach in the NFL for none other than the Jacksonville Jaguars. I mean, when you put Urban Meyer together with Jacksonville Jaguars, it just didn't seem right. But, I mean, we'll see what happens. To be honest, even though he said he was going to retire from coaching in 2019, I, I wasn't surprised by this hiring. Ever since reports came out of Meyer hanging out with Jack's owner, Shad Khan, on his private boat, and when he was an, and when he was assembling a staff just in case, quote-unquote, he was going to be hired, I was like, yep, they're selling him without being sold on him yet. Which, by the way, is a weird way to do business, but hey, I'm just a teenager. I don't know anything about business. And along with likely getting Trevor Lawrence with the number one pick in the 2021 draft, the future isn't looking too bad for the Jags, so... For them to snag like a top coach of all time, I think, in college, maybe you could translate that to the NFL, and like a top quarterback for a number of years in Trevor Lawrence, like this team isn't looking too bad, especially with their receivers like DJ Chark and uh, LaVisca Chanel, I think his name is. Like, th- like those two guys can really get better with Lawrence throwing them the football a lot. Speaking of futures, the Jets don't have a great one. But it could be fixed as slow as a slow-cooked meal, to be honest with you. But one big hole the Jets front office fixed was head coaching, with the hiring of former 49ers defensive coordinator Robert Sala. In my opinion, this is the best hire that the Jets could have made in franchise history. 
Salah is a very energetic guy on the sidelines. He's very playful with these guys, and he can inject life into a very lifeless Jets franchise for like since Joe Namath, uh, Joe Namath, <laughs> Joe Namath brought them their first Super Bowl. The domino effect will fall into the main idea, or, or this domino effect will fall into the main idea, which is changing the culture around the Jets. And this hire is one step in the right direction, at least in my opinion. I mean, even though he's like a defensive coordinator, some people will say like oh, he's just going to call defensive plays and just, like, he doesn't know anything about offense and just let his, and just hire, like, really smart people to run the offense. But I really think he's not he's not just going to be a defense guy, but he's going to be an all-around guy because, like I said, he's going to inject so much life into that Jets squad that needs it so bad. They, they, they need that type of playfulness so bad in Robert Sala. So this is, like, one of the best hires that they could have done this offseason. Hey guys, this is Editing Room, and I just found out that Titans offensive coordinator Arthur Smith just got hired by the Atlanta Falcons. Now, I'm going to make this short and, short and sweet. This is a really good hire because like his what he learned from the Titans offense can kind of translate over to that Falcons offense with like Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley. Those three guys can really succeed under Arthur Smith. And 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 since and since he instituted more of a run game with Derrick Henry at the helm, I feel like he's going to make Todd Gurley run a little bit more, maybe get in Brian Hill on a couple of those runs. So we'll see what happens. Like, I'm really excited for this hire. And Falcons fans, you should be really happy about this hire. First up, we have Rams versus Packers on 435 on Saturday on Fox. Earlier in the week, Jared Goff was announced as the starter for this game. Now, he didn't look like his regular self when he came into the game because he just came off a of finger surgery and has pins in his finger, I believe, which is not, which does not feel good. At least... I mean, I don't know what it feels like to have pins in your fingers, but I would assume it doesn't feel that great. He, had, Despite that, he had 155 yards and a touchdown in the fourth quarter against the Seahawks last week. Now that he'll be had, not, now that he'll be healed a little bit more, I feel like he'll likely play better than last week. Now, on the defensive side of things, even though they did really well against Wilson and the Seahawks offense, they have a much bigger test against AR-12 and the best offense in the NFC, in my opinion, in the Packers. It seems like Jalen Ramsey will cover Devontae Adams in this game and neutralize him well, but since Rodgers likes to spread the wealth, other receivers can have big games. That means guys like Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Alan Lazard, if he, can, if he can actually play today, and I think Marquise St. Brown or something like that, those, those three guys could get a lot of touches in this game, and along with the top running game with Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams, and a top linebacker in Zadari Smith and a top cornerback in Jair Alexander. I got the Packers winning this one. They're just too good of a team to pass up on this one. Now, the now the big game of the day is the Ravens versus the Packers on Saturday at 815 on NBC. Now, this one is going to be the best game of the four divisional matchups, at least in my opinion. You got two of the top QBs in the league coming from the same draft class, by the way, in Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen. Both have done wonders for their organizations, and their weapons are just as good. On the Ravens' defense, you have guys like cor cornerback Marlon Humphrey, who could play today. Uh, I, I, I think reports have said that he will play in this game, so he, he, he could be a big factor. The other cornerback, Marcus Peters, and defensive tackle Calais Campbell, former Cardinal, sad, who are all world talents at their positions. But on the other side of things, the Bills' defense has some pretty underrated guys like safety Micah Hyde, linebacker Tremaine Edmonds, and near-defensive player of the year last year, cornerback Tredavious White. 
you you can make a legitimate case for both teams to win, but my gut's telling me that the Ravens are winning this one. They really showed how explosive they can be in the running attack, sprinkled in with a bit of passing against the Titans last week, so why not do it again? Now next up we have versus the Chiefs on Sunday at 3.05 Eastern on CBS. Even though the Browns played surprisingly well without their head coach at the helm and are looking to play even better now that Stefanski's back, no one, and I mean no one, can stop this Chiefs team. When you look at this team, they are so complete across the board. Of course, you have the best quarterback in football right now in Patrick Mahomes, an underrated running back duo in Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and Le'Veon Bell, who combined for 1,057 yards rushing and 6 TDs, and the best receiving core in football, headlined by Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, who are both pro bowlers this year and had 1,000 receiving yards this year as well. And it's not just the offense that's good, it's the defense as well. They have three pro bowlers on defense, yes, three pro bowlers on one defense. Safety Tyron Matthew, defensive tackle Chris Jones, and defensive end Frank Clark. Let's let's break down all three of these guys' stat lines. First up, we got Matthews, and he had a career-high six interceptions and 62 total tackles. Chris Jones' stat line on the year, he has seven and a half sacks and two forced fumbles. Finally, Clark had six sacks this year. So no question here. I got the Chiefs winning this one. I mean, it's, it's just not even a question. Now, finally, we got the Buccaneers going up against the Saints on Sunday at 640 Eastern on Fox. This game will probably be the, the last matchup between Brady and Breeze because Breeze could be retiring after the season. So why not give the fans a show while at the same time try and punch a ticket to the AFC, uh, not AFC Championship, NFC Championship. What do I think? Brady's still on the Patriots? No, he's on the Bucks. Like I mentioned last episode, the Bucks have some insane weapons on their team. And last week, they showed out against the Washington football team. It was headed by Mike Evans, who had six catches for 119 yards. Then, their wide receiver too, Chris Godwin, had a decent showing as well catching five passes for 79 yards and a touchdown of his own. If Brady can get these two guys going against the Saints defense, you might as well just chalk it up as a W. But when there's a ying, there's a yang. In the Bucks' divisional matchup against the Saints in the regular season, they lost both games, and by a lot. In fact, in those two games, the Saints outscored the Bucks 72-26. to That's just an otherworldly score. And Brees had combined 382 yards and six touchdowns in those games. However, I believe there's a saying called, what, third time's a charm? And I'm riding that wave. So give me the Buccaneers to win this one and punch their ticket to the NFC Championship and play against Aaron Rodgers. Now, enough talk about football. Let's talk about probably one of the biggest stories of the entire week, maybe even of the entire month, or maybe even the entire year, even though it's early into 2021. A Big, big trade happened in Brooklyn, New York. James Harden is going to the Nets in a crazy blockbuster deal. Now, there's a lot to digest here because these this trade had four teams involved, which is so unprecedented for a trade like this. So I'm going to break down the trade team by team and then give you guys my winners of this trade. Now, obviously, first up, Harden is going to the Nets along with a 2024 second round pick. The Rockets get a crazy haul back. A franchise player in Victor Oladipo, Dante Exum, Rodonius Karuks, I, I probably didn't say that right, four first-round picks, and four pick swaps. No idea what those are, but okay. The Cavaliers got Jared Allen and Torian Prince from the Nets, 
And the Pacers got Karius LeVert from the Nets and a 2023 second round pick. Now let's get into my winners. My first winner is Brooklyn. When you get three top 10 players in the NBA on one team, Sean Marks should get like a nine hour standing ovation for what he did to the city of Brooklyn. The minute he got hired to Brooklyn in 2016, he seemed like he was going to do anything in his power to change the culture there. And boy, did he do that. When he snagged KD and Kyrie Irving in 2019, everyone and their mother knew that the Nets were up to something. And now that they snagged Harden on Wednesday, that was just the icing on the cake. In my opinion, even though the Nets gave up a lot of talented players that they'll miss dearly, and Harden can sometimes be a baggage to carry, I think it'll be worth it at some point. Now, my second winner is actually the Rockets. Now hear me out. Their new starting five will likely be John Wall at point guard, Victor Oladipo at shooting guard, Daniel House uh, slash David Nwaba at small forward. Nwaba is going to start for them now because House is out right now with an injury. Christian Wood at power forward and DeMarcus Cousins at center. Think about how good that lineup is. This also, this also brings a lot of burdening off their first year coach, Steven Silas, without having to deal with enough questions about Harding being like Waldo half the time and just do his job and coach a really decent NBA team. Oh, and by the way, they have like 10,000 picks from the Nets and others to build their future off of. Just like Sam Presti and the Thunder, who, have, who also have like 10,000 picks. Now, to me, I also think the Pacers and the Cavaliers are winners here, too. Because when you think about it, Jarrett Allen, Torian Prince, and Karis LeVert are three really good players who can like kind of be pillars for their teams and be just everyday guys who can get the job done. I don't think there's really any losers in this trade because... On the, on the short term and the long term. Like, you, you could look at it from both ways. Now, lastly, oof, we, we, we got some interesting signings to talk about. So let's just jump right into it. We got First up, we got a big signing from the south side of Chicago. We got Liam Hendricks signing a three-year deal worth $54 million with a club option on the fourth year with the White Sox. The Sox had a really underrated, had a pretty underrated bullpen before this signing, headlined, headlined by Aaron Bummer and Alex Colomay. But now that Hendricks is on the Sox, that bullpen is going to be so much better just by him being there. And that whole team is going getting better every day by day, it feels like. So, like, with, you, with guys like Jose Abreu, Eloy Jimenez, Luis Ro, uh, Robert, Robert, whatever it is. Um, who else they got? They got Tim Anderson. Um, Osmani Grandal, like, it's just the list just keeps going on and on with this team. And to me, I feel like these guys might make a pennant chase. Like, I feel like the, like, like my way too early picks for the championship series in both leagues. In the NL, it could be the Mets versus the Padres. And in the AL, it could be White Sox-Yankees. I don't know, that might just seem, like, really biased. But, like, when you look at these teams, like, deeper and deeper, you'll see why I say that. Now, next up. We have Archie Bradley, former D-back and Red. He got he got signed to the Phillies for a one-year, six-million-dollar deal. Now, I feel like the Phillies should have been a contender for Hendricks, but I mean, Archie Bradley is kind of eh, but he's not terrible. His 2020 stats have a are 2.95 ERA, six saves, and an 8.8 strikeouts per nine. Not bad, but certainly can turn back the clock to his 2017 and 2018 days where he had a combined. 2.68 ERA and a 9.6 strikeouts per nine in those games or in those years, I should say. Guys, Yankees fans can finally rejoice because DJ LeMayhew finally, finally signed a contract with the New York Yankees 
for six years and $90 million. Now, I've heard people say, oh, DJ got robbed. Oh, my goodness. They fleeced him. Blah, blah, blah. Listen, DJ always wanted to come back to the Yankees. Even though we probably wanted to test different waters, at the end of the day, the Yankees were the only team who were going to be able to give him what he wanted. Oh, and by the way, ever heard of a COVID-19 pandemic going around right now and the fact that it's destroying businesses big and small? Uh, Trevor Bauer, George Springer, and J.T. Muto are still on the board, and a contract like that could be the biggest that they're going to get right now because of the pandemic. Something I learned back in elementary school is you get what you get and you don't get upset. And that applies right here. Now, last but certainly not least, the second signing by the New York Yankees was Corey Kluber, a two-time AL Cy Young Award winner. He signed for a year and $11 million. I got to talk to my guy GM Brian Cashman for a quick second. Dude, where was this type of intention like right after Brasso hit that game-winning home run in Game 5 of the ALDS? Like, like Brian Cashman should have been like, in this office, trying to call people like right, like like the day after, because we needed that. Because we need that type of general manager who's gonna make that risky decisions like early on after, to, in order for us to compete. But I also understand that like he wants, like he kind of wants to sit back and feels like he has a good team. Well, no, you don't, because we haven't gotten a World Series since two thousand and nine. Do you know how long that is? Like, we're used to getting World Series, like, every single year. Like, we're used to being, like, the big evil empire from, like, the 30s to the 60s. Like, we just had this constant dynasty for that long. And now we don't have a championship for 11 years? Hopefully not 12 years? Like, are you serious? Like, we need a general man. Like, like we need this type of um, Brian Cashman to go get out and get some people. Like, like... Like, like already what he's doing right now in order for us to be successful. But now let's just get into Kluber and how good he's been before the Rangers mini stint. Between 2013 and 2018, he had a record of 94 and 50, an ERA of 2.96, 1,364 strikeouts, almost like near, near less than one homer per nine, less than two walks per nine, and less than 10 strikeouts per nine. Along with that, he had three star all-star appearances, was voted in the top 10 of the Cy Young five straight seasons, and led the majors in ERA with the 2.25 in, two, in 2017, and in wins with 18 in both 2014 and 17, which were his Cy Young winning years, by the way. Now, based on these numbers, you think this was a flat-out bargain. But like I said this entire episode, when there's a ying there's a yang. In the last two seasons, he was with two teams, Cleveland and the Texas Rangers. And, 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 and he started in just eight games because of long-term injuries. And in those eight games, he posted a 2-3 and three record with a 5.65 ERA and a surprisingly bad 10.8, what, 10.8 hits per nine or 10.8 homers per nine? I'm going to have to check that after unless you guys know what that is. Hey, guys, I just found out that it was actually 10.8 hits per nine, not homers per nine. But to me, I feel like this guy is the def definition of night and day. His day is one of the best days in baseball history, and his night is among the worst nights in baseball history. Hopefully, the Yankees can resurrect, career, resurrect his career and make him a Cy Young winner that he's always been. Well, that's it, guys. Hope you guys enjoyed yourselves, and please, please, please drop a follow or subscribe if you haven't already. Tell your friends and family about this podcast because we're trying to get all the support that we can right now. 
And also follow follow the podcast on Instagram at at House of Ballers, H O U Z Z O F B A L L E R Z Z. That's H O U Z Z O F B A L L E R Z Z. All right, guys, I'm out of here. Peace. Like that.